Look at Acts 18. How many of you have ever, I know some of you have with me, been to the, the ancient city of Corinth? Several of you have because you went there with me. Um, it's about one hour's drive out of Athens. Remember, we left Paul in Athens last week. Um, he, didn't ha- he doesn't have a nice bus. It's more than an hour for him. But today on a bus, is about an hour's drive south uh, from um, Athens. I want to show you something to understand the importance of Corinth. You may know this, but if not, um, if, you got my- if you have maps in the back of your Bible... Turn to a map in the back of your Bible. Find one that shows you the Mediterranean world, which means you're going to have to get into Paul, Paul's journeys. It'll be toward the end of your maps, I'm sure. But if you look at a map of the Mediterranean world or a map of Paul's first, second, third, fourth missionary journeys, and if you look look at Greece, on your map, it's probably called Thrace, up at the top of the page. Macedonia, still called Macedonia, that northern part of Greece. That's where Thessalonica and Berea and Philippi are. Epirus, then you, as you're heading south on the Greek peninsula, you see Achaia. That's the name of the province. But what I want you to notice, if you find a map that's got Corinth on it, you see it is, it is at this little bitty tiny piece of land that connects the mainland of Greece with the province of Achaia. It's a three-and-a-half-mile strip of land. And that's why if you don't look good, you, can't, you think there's a big island at the bottom of Greece. But if you look close enough, you realize they are, they're connected. Uh, seeing Crea and Corinth right there on either side of this three-and-a-half-mile piece of land. You see what I'm talking about? Help your neighbor, neighbor figure it out. You see what I'm talking about? So, what had happened even by Paul's time is instead of sailing a ship all the way around Achaia, all the way around the southern part of Greece, you could take your vessel to where Corinth is, and it's only three and a half miles. Even in Paul's, now today there's a channel, a canal, and it's fascinating to look at. Uh, Nero started it, but eventually was, there's a canal now that ships, depending upon their size, can pass through those three and a half miles. In Paul's day, though, didn't have a canal. Uh, they could pick up the ship, because they weren't that big, and they could carry it across um, and put it back in the water. The reason that's important is Paul could go to Corinth and all the east-to-west, west-to-east traffic in the Mediterranean would pass in front of him. So that's why Paul went and stayed there for 18 months. The only other place he stayed longer was Ephesus, which is about the same thing. All of the ancient world passed by him in Ephesus. But literally, you had to make that journey all the way around the tip of Achaia or just that three-and-a-half-mile journey over land there right at Corinth. So Corinth was a place where all the world came through. Now, the other reason that's important, because it was a place where all the world passed through, because it was um, a port city, it was very, very cosmopolitan. That's why in the Greek language, in the Greek world, in the day of Paul, the verb to Corinthianize meant you participate in sexual immorality. 
You know, I'd hate to live in a place where my, the name of my city becomes. But that tells you a lot about Corinth. To Corinthianize meant you, you were doing weird, inappropriate, strange sexual things. Um, again, it's a port city. It's cosmopolitan. The world's passing through it. If you look at the ruins of Athens today, and that's all that's there is Athens, the ruins. You see their temples. You see the ruins of the marketplace where Paul would have functioned. You'll see in a moment. If you look through the ruins, there's the Acrocorinth, which just means the hill of Corinth, back behind the ruins of Corinth. Um, that's where the temple of Aphrodite stood. For, for centuries. Now, if you know, Aphrodite is the goddess of love and war, but you probably remember love. Uh, Aphrodite was the goddess of love. Venus would have been the Roman version, the goddess of love. So there's this big temple there in Corinth to Aphrodite, goddess of love. There were a thousand temple prostitutes, male and female. You pick your choice. And the way you went to the temple of Aphrodite and prayed for Aphrodite's blessing was taking part in some of Aphrodite's rituals with those temple prostitutes. So that's the city of Corinth. Um, that's why to Corinthianize, the Greek word to Corinthianize, they took the word Corinth and made it into a verb that meant to be sexually immoral. So yeah, it was an interesting place to live. And that's why Paul stayed 18 months. That's why you have two letters from Paul to the, to, to the Corinthian church, right? 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians, you see how messed up the Corinthians were. 2 Corinthians, you see how conflicted the relationship between Paul and those people became. What you also notice from reading 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that... Um, um, there's hints of at least two other letters that Paul wrote. Uh, some people think that they, one of them might have got combined into what we saw, 2 Corinthians, called 2 Corinthians, or it made those two letters might be lost. Anyway, he, had, he, he stayed there 18 months. He, ha, he wrote, we, know, we have two, but he probably wrote more letters back to the church at Corinth because they needed a lot of discipling. They needed a whole lot uh, that's why if you read 1 Corinthians, and I'll never forget, I'll always connect 1 Corinthians in my mind to COVID. Because one of the things I did during COVID was I taught my way through 1 Corinthians. And just to get me in the mood to do that, I made those podcasts by myself in an empty chapel. You know, but I, I, so somewhere out there, there's a year's worth of going through 1 Corinthians. But if you look at 1 Corinthians, Paul has to tell the Christians there, incest, bad idea, visiting prostitutes, bad idea. And the list goes on. Well, again, that was Corinth. He didn't have to tell people in Jerusalem, incest, bad idea. He didn't have to tell people in, in Jerusalem, you know, prostitutes, bad idea. But in Corinth, what, here, here's the way I define a simple way to define Corinth. They were a spirit-filled congregation. You see that. A lot of our charismatic Pentecostal Holy Spirit theology comes out of 1 Corinthians. So it was um, an exuberant place spiritually. And I think they were so spiritual, 
They didn't pay attention to their, 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 their morality. The gifts of the Spirit were in operation, speaking in tongues, healing, uh, visions. The spiritual gifts were in operation, but you learn from 1 Corinthians what was not in operation were the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, joy, patience, that list. That's why you have 1 Corinthians 13, that great love hymn, stuck down in the middle of three verses, three, three chapters, about how you should worship. You know, what, what particularly the church in Corinth reminds us is when someone comes to Christ, there's not a delete button on them. I wish there was a delete button on people who came to Christ. I wish I'd have had a delete button. I brought some of my baggage with me to, into my faith in Christ. You know, uh, when you receive Christ, that's just the beginning of, of sanctification. That's the beginning of the Holy Spirit cleaning us up. You know, you've received Christ, so you've gotten out of hell. Now the Holy Spirit has to work to get the hell out of you. And the Church of Corinth teaches us that. There was no delete button on those people. So, yeah, they were spirit-filled. They received Jesus. They were worshiping. And Paul's like, you can't do that. You know, people think we moderns invented sexual immorality. Now, if you look at the history, the Greco-Roman world was very much like our world in regards to sex being recreational. Sex being about pleasure, sex being about do whatever you want to do. The ancient world, the Greco-Roman, not Jewish, but the Greco-Roman world, they were there. You see that in Corinth. But what happened was the Christian faith, 300 years after Paul, sort of does, it does conquer the whole world. So this lifestyle went away till about the 1960s. Now Greco-Roman and Greco-Roman morality, Greco-Roman gods are returning. So that's why the New Testament is more applicable now than it's ever been. You know, I mean, I shouldn't have to be telling Christian people <laughs> incest is a bad idea. You know, in the Book of Common Prayer, which was written in 1662, um, at, on the back page of the Book of Common Prayer, the last page of the Book of Common Prayer in the, in the 1662 version, is these two lists of who people can't marry. Go look it up. And most of it you know. You can't marry your brother-in-law. You can't marry your sister-in-law. You can't marry your aunt. You can't marry your uncle. Long list of who you can't marry. Because people coming out of other cultures, they don't know that. They don't know that. So what, is, what became normal in the Christian West became normal because of the Christian faith. Now it's becoming abnormal again. When I when I say that the you know when I say the primary reason for marriage, which we said for two thousand years, the primary reason for marriage is procreation. There was no question about that to the middle of the twentieth century. Then we started saying, okay, we're okay with also pleasure and companionship. But if you still go to a Catholic Mass for a wedding, this is why I love doing marriages with Catholic priests. We have a blessing of the marriage at the end of the service. It's okay. But in the Roman Catholic tradition, they still have a traditional blessing of the marriage. Go have babies. Now, they have a version of a prayer they can use if they're marrying two 80-year-olds. 
But the standard blessing at the end of the marriage is go and bear fruit, be fruitful and multiply. We knew for 3,000 years, 3,500 actually, the purpose of marriage is procreation. Then we finally realized, okay, okay, companionship and pleasure, add that to it. Those are important too. Now we're in a place where marriage is only about companionship and pleasure, not so much about procreation anymore. That's why Jesus said you don't be, you're not going to be married or given in marriage in heaven. Remember Jesus saying that? Because Jesus is coming out of a context where the primary purpose of marriage is procreation. You don't need to procreate in heaven. That was common sense among the Christian community. Uh, no, no Christian church anywhere till 1919 ever said, okay, next to procreation, maybe companionship and pleasure is okay as, as benefits of marriage. But we're in a culture now where marriage or sex in general is companionship and pleasure. And if, if you take away the procreation piece... Well, the field's wide open all of a sudden when it comes procreate, when it comes pleasure and companionship. So Paul had to teach these pagans because they had lots of ways of having fun sexually. And Paul was a killjoy Jew who came Christian. He came in and said, incest, bad, prostitution, bad. Um, he, goes on, he goes on and on and on, by the way, uh, with having to say to the church at Corinth, what he would have never had to say in a Jewish context. There are Jews in Corinth, you'll see. He starts out there. It doesn't last long there. If you go to Corinth today, you can actually see some archaeological finds that are obviously from an ancient synagogue. I mean a menorah even. They had a synagogue in Corinth. But Corinth was a Roman colony in Greece. It had been settled. Julius Caesar rebuilt it. As a Roman colony, it had been settled by Roman soldiers. It, it, was, it was a Roman colony in, in Greece. It was the primary commercial center in Paul's day. So he stayed there 18 months because the world came by, by him, and he had a job to do in Corinth. So let's take Paul to Corinth. We'll do a little bit of chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens. You remember all that went on in Athens? And went to Corinth. I love verse 2, and he found a Jew named Aquila or Aquila, a native of Pontus. If you know your geography, that's in, that's in modern-day um, Turkey, northern part of Asia Minor on the Black Sea. A native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, Emperor Claudius, Caesar Claudius, I Claudius, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Um, Here's Paul going into this strange, strange city. I mean, Athens was strange for one reason. Corinth is strange for another reason. He goes into this strange city, and one of the first things that happens, he finds Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, I think that's providential. I think that's God giving him the gift of Priscilla and Aquila. If you don't know about Priscilla and Aquila, we'll, we'll continue to talk more about Priscilla and Aquila. Two of my favorite people in the New Testament. They got ran out of Rome by Claudius. Oh, by the way, we know this from history. Why, why were they run out of Rome? In 49 AD, which is about two years before this text, Paul in Corinth, 49 AD, Emperor Claudius, we know this from the Roman historian Suetonius, Emperor Claudius finally said, all you Jews, get out. 
And the reason he did it, and this is fascinating, this, this is one of the few places outside the New Testament where we think Christ is referenced. And Suetonius says that Claudius, the emperor, ran all the Jews out of Rome. They've had a long history of being run out of places. Of running all the Jews out of Rome was because the Jews were having ongoing disturbances because of a person named Christus. That's probably Christ. It's probably Christos. But those Romans didn't know that well enough, and they didn't know, they didn't know, they didn't know who those Jews were fighting about. But they were run, but all thing that they were concerned about the order. So the Roman Emperor Claudius said, You Jews leave. Y'all go fight about this Christus somewhere else. And that's probably a reference to Christ. So Aquila and Priscilla, they were in Rome. They were part of the Jews that got ran out of Rome. Aquila and Priscilla probably were some of the founders of the church at Rome. That's why there's a church at Rome long before Paul ever gets there uh, because of probably Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, this is the only place in the New Testament where you're introduced to Aquila before you're introduced to Priscilla. Everywhere else are mentioned is Priscilla and Aquila. Her name comes first. And in ancient literature, that probably implied she was the more significant. She was the predominant. She might have been the wealthier. It's just always Priscilla and Aquila except right here. So that's even important. Priscilla is probably a strong leader with her husband, Aquila, a strong leader in the early Christian community. They start out in Rome. They get run out of Rome when all the Jews got run out of Rome in 49. They're here in Corinth. We know what year this is. It's, it's in the fall of 51 or the spring of 52. What, you'll see that later in the text. So here they are in Corinth, and they meet Paul. They become close friends to Paul. And guess what you're going to see? We'll see in just a second. They're tent makers. So they share a common trade. They're Christian. I, I think Priscilla and Aquila was a providential gift to Paul. Give him somebody there in Corinth that he could partner with. The other reason I love Priscilla and Aquila, if you keep reading about them in the New Testament, they were a married couple who really had a partnership in ministry. They were tent makers, like Paul, but their real calling was ministry. And they were partners in ministry. The two of them complement each other, but they had that common goal. Um, if I can, one of the reasons I like Priscilla and Aquila, if I can be personal for just a moment, I've been blessed for a long time to be married to somebody who's a partner with me in ministry. Um, our ministries are different. Hers is hospice. Some of my, this is going to sound weird to you, but you may understand, some of my most joy-filled experiences over the last what years I married? 85. How long have I been married? 38 years. Anyway, some of my most joy-filled experiences, and this occurred in a few places, is where I was the pastor and my wife was the hospice nurse for someone who died. Literally, we'd both been in the room with some people at that point. Um, so I, I, I think I've been blessed with sort of, sort of a Priscilla Aquila kind of thing. Um, Priscilla and Aquila is a couple in the New Testament. They were, in a, they were married, but they were partners in ministry. They come alongside of Paul here. They so come alongside of Paul that when Paul leaves to go to Ephesus, they're going to go to Ephesus. Uh, they become deep partners, deep partners with, with Paul. So get to know Priscilla and Aquila. Um, anyway, so, you know, Claudius, I, I say I, Claudius. Remember that PBS special? 
series, I, Claudius. Now, you got, some of you are older than I am. You remember that. Um, the public television series, I, Claudius. Somebody please shake your head because you're making me feel real old right now. I, Claudius. Uh, this is the same Claudius, Caesar Claudius. Uh, Caesar Claudius, Claudius ruled from like 41 to 54. Uh, Claudius ran the Jews out, but God used that to get Priscilla and Aquila to Corinth to be there to receive Paul when Paul came to do ministry. Paul stays there 18 months. Let's just finish the paragraph. Um, and he went to see them at the end of verse 2. He went to see them. Verse 3, and because he was of the same trade... Um, he stayed with them and worked for them, worked for they were tent makers by trade. I bet some of your footnotes, if it's a study Bible, tells you what tent makers were in the ancient world. Now you think tent, and I'm going to get this really wrong, I'm not a textile person. You think making a tent, you come up with polyester or something. In the ancient world, that's not the way they made tents. So by calling Paul a tent maker, he didn't make those pup tents you used to use in your backyards. By calling him a tent maker, what's a, probably a better term than tent maker? If you have a footnote or something, it may tell you. Leather worker. He's a leather worker. He makes tents out of leather. Um, that's a very portable business. And that same leather worker means he can make tents, he can make awnings. You can do a lot with leather working, particularly in the ancient world. So he, he was a leather worker. Priscilla and Aquila probably were the same thing. Uh, so they bonded over that. Uh, here, this isthmus where Corinth is had the famous Isthmian Games. That's like the Olympic Games. They had the famous Isthmian Games. So when people poured into Corinth for those Olympic-type games, guess what was needed? Tents. They didn't have any Radisons in Corinth. So tents. So there's lots of reasons he stayed there 18 months. He was a leather worker, tent maker. The world came there. There was a lot of work to do in Corinth. They were so immoral. A lot of work to do with Corinth. So we'll finish with verse 4. Look at verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. He always starts out there. And he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. We know who those Greeks are again. They're the God-fearers, the Gentiles that are going to synagogue because they like a lot about the Jews. So he goes there and he reasons. He uses logic. He tries to persuade the people in the synagogue that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, you don't even have to keep reading, but you know Luke's style now. After he, go, after he starts in the synagogue and he reasons with the synagogue, What's going to happen? Yeah, the Jews are going to get upset and they're going to run them out and there's going to be problems. So here he got um, uh, a few Sundays, a few Saturdays, sorry, a few Saturdays, Shabbats uh, in the synagogue. Uh, it's not going to last long. It's not going to last long. But he starts there. He starts there. So this is a good place to stop. Um, we will stay in Corinth for a while. Um, if Paul were to land today in New York City or Las Vegas, I could keep naming some cities, he would swear he was in Corinth. He'd have to keep asking the name of the city. He would say, I, I think this is sure this is in Corinth. Um, yeah, he, he, this text, everything about Paul's ministry in Corinth is very important. Let's, let's pray together. God, I give you thanks for these people that 
faithfully want to seek you, faithfully want to serve you, faithfully want their lives to be shaped by you. So God, we pray that you will continue to grace us with your presence, and we know that you'll bless us as we give attention to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.